This podcast is offered by Jikoji Zen Center on the web at jikoji.org. Our programs are made possible by donations from people like you. So, yeah, my name is Ocean, uh, Ocean Jennings. Um, it's really good to be here. Um, before I start, I just want to say um, a few things. First, I, I'm deaf, so uh, if you don't understand something I'm saying, just give me a little sign. Um, I'll happily repeat myself. As I like to say, I know I'm deaf. You're not going to offend me because you don't understand <laughs> me. So you can feel free to um, feel free to speak up. Um, yeah. And um, I'm from the East Coast. And um, I'm out here staying for a little while. Um, I have a little sangha uh, in the Washington DC area called No Barrier Zen. And um, kind of a special niche in the Dharma, especially to focus on working with people with differences and disabilities. And a lot of people who have had, um, as we say, historically limited access to the Dharma. It's just really great to be here. It's just, just great to be out of the house, you know. <laughs> um, we are just wrapping a week-long session, a week-long meditation intensive. And so about a dozen or so people that are here in the room, um, we all sat together here for the week. And it's just really wonderful, just really precious to be sitting with people again, be practicing our intimate practice alongside others. And everybody on Zoom, can, can we, am I coming through okay on Zoom? Okay, great. Yeah, and so, um, I was just thinking, man, it just seems so wrong. <laughs> it's so strange to spend a week in silence together punctuated with talks here and there and then here we are this is this is kind of our last meditation period for the week and it just seems a shame to say something so maybe we just sit a little more <laughs> some people are like please no <laughs> some of us feel pretty pretty cut there's quite a few people it was their first session I, a, a handful of first-timers, and that's really nice. That's really amazing. It's worth uh, noting. Um, yeah, yeah. So the theme of our session was Denkoe, which is the transmission of the light. And it's one of the four traditional uh, yearly kind of retreats that happens here. This is the big fall retreat. And I wanted to talk a little bit about 
this transmitting the light, that realizing the light, and what we might mean by that in relation to this sitting practice. I'm going to try and push the boat out here a little bit. I'm going to try and really kind of go for it. Um, that means I'm going to be talking about Dogen. <laughs> I found her, who is a dharmic genius and really wonderful, um, but a lot of his writing is, is um, a little hard to penetrate sometimes. Uh, or as one of my old teachers would say, it's, it's pretty dark to the mind, but radiant to the heart. So I'll try my best to illuminate his words, try and put a little light on him. And something that happens quite often, I've found, is that uh, when the teachers are giving talks, these little threads appear. And I like to find them and grab them and try and pick up and keep going. But I had a, I had a kind of a talk written and about the Tenzo Kyoku and about the Dogen's fascicle on the, the instructions to the cook, it sometimes translated as. So Dogen is, is the founder of Japanese Soto Zen. And in 1237, he wrote this piece. And Judy yesterday talked a bit about it. And I had been also, of course, reading it as well. So it felt like, yeah, we should, we should say something about it. So the Tenzo, uh, the Tenzo or the cook at a monastery or a center is actually a very special, a very important position. Uh, it's usually given quite a lot of importance. And it's usually, that position is usually held by a practitioner who has a great depth of practice um, because it's a very challenging job. So you need to have a great understanding and, and coupled with a great sincerity and a tremendous amount of physical energy and attention for details. Having been a former Tenzo myself, um, I have deep empathy and respect for anyone who takes up this kitchen practice. Feeding a large group of people for three services a day, for three meals a day, for any length of time is pretty heroic, just in and of itself. And I also want to stress the fact that for a lot of people here, we've either just been in our own little rooms, our own little cabins, or we've been in this room meditating, or we've been eating together. And that's kind of been it. So you can imagine not only the importance of uh, the food has on physical well-being, but also emotional well-being. To come from this place of great silence and great introspection and to reveal this food in front of you, it does really start to feel quite miraculous. It's something, it's like the, one of the few other activities that we did other than meditating was eating together. 
So it's that, that deserves a talk in and of itself. I also just think about food a lot. So <laughs> maybe maybe you just want to talk about food. And so some of my favorite uh, little teaching stories, koans or mandos from our tradition, uh, revolve around the kitchen practice or the work practice. Uh, or around food. There's one little story that I really liked was um, it's about this monk who had heard that in this town, up this mountain, there was a really great teacher and a really strong community. And everybody told him in this town, yeah, it's just right up there on the top of that mountain. Right up there, Santa Cruz Mountains, go find it. So he decided, I'm going to go see what they're about. I'm going to see if the hype is real. And so he got instructions. How do I find it? Okay, you just follow the river, follow the river path all the way up to the top. So on his journey, on his way up the mountain, ascending the mountain, as it were, he sees a cabbage leaf floating down the river. And he instantly kind of knew what happened. He said, the Tenzo, the cook, must have been washing vegetables in the stream and was careless enough to let a leaf go by, to lose a piece of cabbage. Having this thought, he stopped in his tracks and turned around and said, this is not a place of sincere practice. And it started his way back down. No sooner he thought that and started making his way back down, that he hears, and he sees the Tenzo chasing the cows. Okay, sounds like a good place to study. Sounds like a good sincere place of practice. So I've seen uh, a Tenzo Jen doing a lot of <laughs> really working hard for us, leaving it all on the field. So yes, the Tenzo Kyokun or the instructions to the cook is not only one of the more important texts in the Zen tradition, it's also fairly accessible to read. And a lot of Dogen takes a long time to study and to read and to reread and to sit with. So does the Tenzo Kyokun, but there's an immediate accessibility to it that I really, I really enjoy. One of the things I really like about this is that Dogen ta tackles um, a few different themes, but really I think one of the main themes from the Tenzo Kyokun is um, an important core question that Dogen really struggled with. It seemed to be the core question of the early part of his life, the first half of his practice. And this question was what caused Dogen to leave his original monastery 
and find a new teacher and eventually leave there and hop on a boat and take this perilous journey to China and then inland. You know, really spending about a decade really dedicated to clarifying this, this matter for himself. So his life koan, if you will. And I think it was something like this. If we are all whole, perfect, and complete, already a Buddha, then why practice? Then why did all of you show up this morning? Come stay out a while. Why did some of us just spend a week doing this? If this is such a natural state of all beings, or as I was talking about in my last talk, if this is our birthright, then why do we need to practice? So yes, Dogen was originally a Tendai monk before practicing Zen in the Rinzai tradition with the, I believe it's the Dharma grandson of the guy who founded Rinzai Zen in Japan. And in the Rinzai school, they have a model. We have a model for practice, they have a model for practice. We all have our opinions, right? But to paraphrase that in my own myopic view, is that basically their rigorous practice is framed a lot as ascending the mountain, you know? Training the mind, training the body. To see into our true nature, all that good stuff, ascending the mountain. And then they believe the second half of practice is descending on. Where we continue to learn and let go and learn to rejoin the marketplace, as they say. To return to the dusty world, something else they say. At the bottom of the mountain. And sometimes literally, town just back down at the bottom of that same mountain, where we can be of service, where we can work with other beings and support them on their path. And it's worth noting that the descending mountain practice was considered far more challenging. Letting go, the integration, the manifesting of our insight is considered far more challenging. So you're ascending and descending. Sounds good, makes sense. So it sounds like a good technique, sounds like a good model. And in a sense, that's what we are all preparing to do, either because we spent a little time ascending a little mountain here this morning or this week, and we're all about to leave. And for some of us, that's quite a charged feeling because we've spent this very intimate week of practice and some of us haven't been able to practice together in person for like two years. So, I'm gonna descend 
this dusty <laughs> this dusty mountain into a dustier marketplace just right over there or back across the bay or fly back across the country. And one thing you'll notice today as you get back in your cars or whatever, as you descend the mountain, you're in the same exact spot. You went up and you came down. You're back at the base of the mountain. It's just a big, big circle. And now with the peak no longer in sight, you have a big question. What was lost? What was gained? And so I think Dogen was thinking about this. I'm back at the base of the mountain. Or I'm at the base of the mountain of my life. Why all the struggle? Why all this effort? Why all the... <laughs> and so Dogen, in a very, I think, very tender way, gives us a lot of instruction. And a lot of this instruction early on had to do with how to sit Zazen, how to do this physical practice. Because often when we're meditating, we're constantly judging and comparing our experience to what we thought it should be, what we thought it could be, what it was five minutes before. Ah, this is the practice. Oh, mm -hmm. uh, no. Now the knee is bothering me again. Oh, now the back. Now the, this isn't the practice, you know. That constant judging and thrusting our sense of self and our story into the center of whatever we're doing. That was good, Zazen. Dogen says, drop that. Dogen quotes his Dharma grandfather, Yao Shan, to exemplify his point. He tells this story. He said, when a monk asked Yao Shan, what do you think about when you sit Zazen? Yao Shan replied, I think not thinking. The monk then asked, how does one think not thinking? Yao Shan replied, beyond thinking. So that's what I feel I've been trying to hint out with my talks during this week is that what's on the other side of that? What's on the other side of your resistance? Or what's on the other side of your story? As we've been saying, go through that. Go through that. Beyond now. And this isn't just clever Zen sparring, Zen tete a It's the core of what we're doing here. This is the core of our practice. 
So Dogen takes a lot of time breaking down this story for us in Yao Xiang's words. And through all these subtle points, he kind of comes to this grand thesis um, in the terms of Kyokun and the Shopo Genzo and other places that sitting upright, the act of sitting Zazen itself is practice realization. So when we sit in meditation, we spend a lot of time looking at ourselves and looking at our thoughts. Just like I was saying before, it's like we're, it's like when we're looking at the clouds. You know, Zazen is a bit like laying in the grass, looking up at the sky and looking at the clouds. And it's kind of, I'm kind of paraphrasing from my children here, who I think I stole this from. But the idea is that we have these thoughts, these clouds, they roll by. And yeah, let them roll by. Don't try and control it too much. Don't try and do too much. Just let it pass through. And more and more when we do this, our thoughts will just pass through, pass through. And more and more we'll begin to identify with our true nature, which is beyond that, which is sky, which is vast, unbounded in all directions. So Dogen says about this state of beyond thinking, he says, the activity of beyond thinking is crystal clear. In order to think not thinking, beyond thinking is always used. It's a bit of a word style, so I'll say it again. The activity of beyond thinking is crystal clear. In order to think not thinking, beyond thinking is always used. So your mind is thinking and doing what your mind does because you're alive, you have a pulse, mind is firing, things are happening. You have a habituated self that you brought to the cushion with you. But when you assume this seated posture and you get to practicing, that's it, period. When you sit up, when you use the energy of this body, which comes to us from the tensor feeding us, from the matter that we eat, that has the energy of many hands that cooked it and washed it and picked it and trucked it around, and the sun that absorbed into it, and all of that, right in there, right in us. the earth, the trees, the sun, that light, that physical and metaphorical light. That's all you do. Not get enlightened, not something outside of yourself, something out there that you were lacking before you came in. But you, just you as you are. That sitting zazen is the expression of practice enlightenment. It's also the expression of the whole universe. 
So when we're sitting here with our distracted little minds and our deluded little thoughts, Dogen reminds us this, that this, this is it, that we are expressing and manifesting this practice realization. Just with your wholehearted showing up, in this moment, that's it. And that feels really beautiful. That feels really so beautiful to me. It's just so wide open and absolutely affirming of me, of all of us. You can tell I've been sitting too much this week. I'm getting weepy at my own talk. It's <laughs> so weird. Um, So I just feel like having that, reading those words and having that understanding, that realization, I just kept wanting to kind of hang in it and let it get into my marrow and, and not forget it. But then immediately something else happens. You have that feeling and you sit down. Yeah, the whole universe. Yeah, I got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This doesn't feel very special. This doesn't feel, I mean, there's no lotuses shot out of anywhere. <laughs> it's just me here. And my back hurts. This can't be it. Yes, this is mostly our body-mind doing what our body-mind does. And most of the time, we aren't even aware of it. Most of the time, we aren't even aware of it. And at the same time, if you turn it all on its head and say, yeah, man, I'm doing it, manifesting it. Yep, I got it. That's not quite it either. So we just keep coming back to this moment and we just keep sitting with our whole self exactly as it is, our whole heart exactly as it is, with whatever is happening for you, to you in this moment. In fact, he goes on to say that the light you're feeling in those amazing moments is still just a transient phenomenon of the world. That the true transmission of the light, the true denkoe, is beyond this. And so that's why we uphold this practice. As he says, illumination does not depend on causes and conditions. So illumination isn't about having some kind of enlightenment experience. You aren't further or near. When you're having lightning bolt moments, when you're in the mountains, when you're on Zoom, when Zoom isn't connecting, 
you're not further or nearer from them. And he says that real illumination does not turn on conditions. It means it doesn't depend on conditions. Because get this, conditions already are illumination. So whether you're having sorrow in your heart or you're falling in love again, whether you've burnt the rice or you've managed to make the supreme meal, as Dogen would say, whether Zoom starts cutting in or out or whatever little petty tyrants that you have, you're neither closer or any further from it. Causes and conditions are already the illumination of the Buddhas and ancestors. And he goes on to say, going beyond, beyond thinking, beyond the idea that illumination is separate from this very moment, or from the causes and conditions of right here and now, I'll add, right here and now, your life as it is, And he says, beyond that means the entire world is not hidden. And a broken world does not appear. The entire world is not hidden. And a broken world does not appear. Which reminded me of this little teaching story. So when Buddha was with his first um, group of followers, the early Sangha, he was walking with his disciples and he looked around and he said, this, this is a good spot to build the temple. So he asked the god Indra to come down and to build a temple in that spot. And Indra appeared, picked the blade of grass and planted it in the ground and said, the temple is built. The world honored one smiled in response. Do you understand? The temple is built. The temple is always here. I'm saying, I'm writing this for me. Like, I don't want to leave. I don't want to go home. The temple is always here. And it's always with me. And each moment has the potential for us to realize this and the potential for us to awaken to this. And at each moment we can have what uh, Rinzai said as bliss bestowing hands of a true one. As Soon as you realize it, you can descend and you can serve and you can be of the world. So in the Tenzo Kyokun, um, Dogen took the ship on this perilous journey and did all this inland traveling. But when he arrived at China, I was reading it. And I know these stories. I've read this before. But it's so funny how different 
things hit you at different times in your life. So this one is that it's still going to arrive in China after the summer rough journey. Blah, 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 blah. He was quarantined on the boat in the harbor. And I was like, quarantined? <laughs> quarantined. Like, just like smacked me in the face reading this thing. So even then, even great master Dogen wore his little mask, stayed in his little heart. They understood this back then. Come on, we have to just get hip to it. People have been doing this for thousands of years. Yeah. And so in quarantining and after coming out of quarantine, here's a chance. Here's this chance meeting with a, a Chinese monk who was happened to be the Tenzo, happened to be the cook. He's this really old, venerable monk. And Dogen and this old cook start chatting with each other. And he's thinking, wow, this guy's really great. And he has this sense about him. Like, he's got a great way. And um, he's got a great way with the Dharma. So Dogen makes these offers to him and says, would you travel with me? Or, you know, can I like, buy you a meal and pay for your lodging? Let's travel together. And the old cook says, no, 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 I'm, I'm here in the harbor. I'm here to pick up mushrooms. Just doing a few errands. Then I got to get back. 14 miles back that way. Little old man. It's miles and miles with me and my mushrooms. I got to go. I got to make it back before dark, you know. And Dogen is like, do this, do this old man. Why don't you rest? Why, why doesn't somebody else do this for you? Why doesn't somebody else, why doesn't one of the younger monks handle this thing for you? And the old cook says, this is the practice I do. This is the practice of the old cook who's been cooking for a long time for his monster. Dogen then says, well, is the job of the cook that important? And the old cook said, my dear foreign friend, your question shows me you don't understand the practice and characters yet. You don't understand what the great way is and you don't understand the writing. And Dogen said, what is this practice? What is the meaning of these characters? And the old cook said, to really wholeheartedly study this and your practice won't be in vain. He says, yes, that's the question. That's it. Be intimate with that and you won't miss it. I looked up, this wasn't the translation I remembered, so I started looking up other translations, but one of the other translations was, if you understand that your question is the central issue of the Buddha Dharma, right there is practice. Right there is the meaning of characters. So Dogen naturally said, what characters? And the old cook said, one, two, three, four, five. So Dogen said, what is the meaning of practice? And the old cook said, nothing in the world is hidden. 
That's quite a story. So this is what Dogen is saying about Zalzan. This fly. It's fly in my face. Interrupting all my great enlightenment stories. <laughs> Don't you know that this is my moment? <laughs> I'm going to swallow you in a second, I swear. <laughs> Trying to be a bodhisattva, get out of the way. So this is what Dogen is saying about Zazen. He says, illumination does not depend on conditions as conditions already are illumination. And what are conditions? What are conditions? One, two, three, four. Those are conditions. There's mushrooms that need to be sliced. There's a garden up there that needs watering. There's newcomers that need to come in and find their way around. We need somebody to put the cushions down. People need to have their vaccination cards checked. One, two, three, four, five. Causes and conditions. Illumination does not depend on this. Causes and conditions already are illumination. So it's not your story, but it's also your story. What? So I'll tell you a story. When when it, I've got a, a lot of my personal moments in this practice where in work and in service and a lot in the kitchen and um i was a co-cook myself and another monk for a group about this size for a summer three meals a day for a summer we start with a five-day retreat and have a day off then a 10-day retreat, and have two days on. Then a seven-day retreat. It was a lot. It was really hard. And my birthday is always in the middle of summer. So for about 10, uh, about 12 years, my birthday went by. Talk about story. Maybe like halfway through, dawn's eyes and I go, oh, it's my birthday. <laughs> Okay, just have that moment, you know. And so it's so much work. Um, and I decided I was going to retire. I wasn't going to do tons of practice anymore, but not for a while. I was getting pretty burnt out on it, and it was taking a, 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 it's taking a chunk out of me each time I did it. And so the other cook and I, we talked to each other and we said, you know what? Let's leave it all in the field. This is the last time we're going to do this, maybe for a while. Let's really, let's really do it. So we got special permission to use ingredients we wouldn't normally use, uh, including like dairy and eggs and stuff. And that, you know, it was a lot of fun. And we made some really sumptuous meals. Um, and we also wrecked that kitchen too. You know, I mean, we were just like cooking everything. It was just crazy. It was all hell. And the kitchen was very shockingly similar to the one here. So I have great empathy every time 
I say this thing, similar, get worse. <laughs> Our kitchen was a lot rattlier. We had a big plancha, a big uh, griddle top that we tried to use. Um, cold as ice on one side, fried everything, and five seconds on the other side. Same with the oven. Oven was like this too. It had cold spots and hot spots. This was really big. And it would blink on and off, and we were constantly kicking it and you know fighting with it and stuff like this this is the way this is our practice this is our life right so we were really cooking we, i mean we made some wild stuff we made a food breakfast and this is an orioke in the traditional three bowls that we ate. we made uh french toast slices with <laughs> syrup and uh, crusted almonds and did all this stuff for orioke and a monastery at four in the morning. I mean, it was like really it's way too much. Um, another thing that we did is we made these um, individual baked eggs. And I told this story on my first night here and how blown over I was when Tenzo made individual baked eggs almost in the same style that we did, which I thought was such a novel and cool thing when we did it. But we would put tomato sauce, it, we would get these big industrial muffin tins, you know, with like like 24 muffin cups, you know, and we would put tomato sauce in each one, and then we would crack an egg in it, and we would cover it in herbs and cheese, and we would bake it off. And if you did it right, it would kind of just pop out, and it would be this little self-contained universe, this complete delicious thing. And it was fantastic. Yeah, so yeah, we're cooking, we're throwing everything at it, and we're just doing all this stuff. And then, um, you know, you have one of those moments of going, this is really hard. I'm getting about five hours a night of sleep. And, you know, I, I don't know why I'm here. I don't know why I'm doing this. It was really, really tough. There were some tears, you know. And then I had one of those moments of, it's my birthday. <laughs> what am I doing here? You know? And so we're cooking away and we're chopping vegetables and doing our thing. And I thought I saw the oven light turned on. And so I turned to the other cook and I broke silence and they said, the oven light's on. Or I said, is the oven on? And he looked and the light was off. He said, no. Oh. And I thought I saw it again, transmitting the light to me. <laughs> Literally, beep, beep, you know. what is this? No. And we cooked and cooked and we wrapped up the day and we did our little uh, service, just the cooks at uh, the kitchen altar and we made prostrations. And out of the corner of my eye as I was officiating, is the oven on? <laughs> And we closed up the kitchen and went to bed. You know how you sleep when you're that dog tired before I even hit the pill. And then I got up in the morning and I'm looking around and I'm setting up my thing and I uh, think, hey, the oven looks on. And I looked in and I see, chocolate cupcakes, I close the oven. 
it's like chocolate cupcakes or chocolate muffins or something going on in there. It's my birthday. <laughs> the oven's not on. That's Sly Dog. He's trying to hide it from me. He's still going to try and surprise me later with something, right? And then the, my co cook, my co Tenzo came in and he looked and goes, Did you turn the oven on? I said, No. He goes, Shit, it's been on all night, hasn't it? I said, What? And he opens it up and goes, No. And he pulls out a whole muffin tin that we forgot with baked eggs that had ballooned up with the cheese and had baked all night and gone black and shiny. <laughs> and I thought, chocolate cupcakes. <laughs> and you know what I spent my birthday doing? <laughs> Chipping out 24 individual <laughs> Cajun style baked eggs. <gasps> it's my birthday. <laughs> It's a story about how deluded I am. It's a story about my story. It's a story about the oven light transmitting me its wisdom. If I would listen and I would let go of my story. So yeah, that's what we say. That's what we say. We say, this is what we mean when we say transmit the light. We shine it inward here and we look and we see, see ourselves as we are. Whole perfect and complete. And how do we do this? We drop away, we drop body mind. When you have immediacy without illusions, says Dogen. When you have immediacy without illusions, immediacy is dropping away with no obstacles. The dropping away of body and mind is simply the one, two, three, four, five of character after character after character. So when I get off this little teaching seat here, when you come down from your little teaching seats and we all go up the hill and we get some food, what light are you prepared to receive? What light are you saying you're going to transmit? What special state are you waiting for to land in your ball? And what other place do you expect to find it? So let us save a little time for some questions and comments and maybe just whatever's arising for some people. And the uh, questions don't have to be from my talk either, because if you ask me too heavy a question about Dogen, uh, we might be here all day. <laughs> 
Yes, do you, do you have a question? If I have this right, if circumstances are enlightenment, what's the beyond? Hmm. Yeah. The causes and conditions are it. If this very body is it, if this very mind is it, if ascending is it, if descending is it, what is beyond? Staying with that is what Dogen realized. This is what Dogen realized after his pilgrimage in China, which is why when he got off the boat and everybody said, what is the great teachings you received in China? What did you learn? And Dogen's response was, eyes horizontal, nose vertical. You could have just as easily said, individual baked eggs. <laughs> you know? Or you could have said, shiver the cold and sweat the heat. What is it? What is it? What is it? How can you be intimate with it? How can you really look out? Yeah. Thank you for that question. Yes. So pre-transmission, post-transmission. Um, if you do something wonderful, if you burn the uh, the egg muffins and then do something awful, pre-transmission, that's an emotional trigger and it to a certain degree, and then it takes a certain amount of time to calm down and relax. Post-transmission, just come? No, not at all. We still looked in the oven and went, shit. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't the idea, that wasn't the plan. But when Dolden says, use it all, use all the ingredients of your life, Use it all to harmonize and make the supreme meal. Just like what we find on the altar. We could go to TJ's and buy a bouquet. We, we can also find it down here. We can notice and we can see it. Is one better than the other? No. Letting go of good and bad. Letting go of above and below. Heaven and hell. Letting go of all that. Going straight through all that. You know, I also want to say this there's type one fun and type two fun. It's like type one fun is like fun while you're doing it. Type two fun is like fun when you're looking back on it, right? So yeah, there was a bit of misery of like, what am I doing here? I could be on a beach or I could be doing something else and I'm chipping up muffin tins because of my own lack of mindfulness, because of my own slip up. And I was just basically taking my face and just smashing it and rubbing it into it. By the 23rd or 24th <laughs> one that was chipped free, I thought, this is the best. <laughs> this is the best gift I could give myself. To just stay with what is actually here and not run 
and what is actually happening in my life as it is, whole perfect and complete. Yeah, it's just like that. I had a, um, on the first day I got a splinter and just so busy doing nothing, but so busy and the schedule, st sticking with the schedule as much as possible, uh, ducking away to write talks, having little meetings, uh, meeting students for practice discussion. There's, there wasn't a lot of space. And at night, I would do a little bows, and I would go to bed, and I would say, oh, man, I still have that splinter. I'll take care of it tomorrow. And this went on and on. And uh, two days ago, I was chanting. And I looked at and I saw my thumb, and the splinter was hanging out two-thirds of the way. Do you see it? Just work the practice and let it work on you. And it will just push its way out. And also see the nurse, get medical attention. Put anybody on the time, wear your mask, call your mother. I think I saw a hand up, maybe it was Ben, and then maybe we lost Ben. Let's see if anybody else has a question, or anybody or not. That's how I feel when I read Dogen too. <laughs> I have all the questions and I don't have any of the words. <laughs> Yes, Anton. Question. Thank you for your talk. What's the best way to chip the little eggs out of the industrial <laughs> plates? Like, what did you find was the best for you? The question, so you guys are not in case you didn't hear that. What is the best way to chip out a muffin then? Now this, that's a secret transmission of the lamp that I, <laughs> I'm not prepared to let you know. We must discover this for ourselves. I think it's just like our practice. It's showing up completely, dropping drop the story, putting the story aside, finding the appropriate tool, just giving it everything. You know, just really whacking at it. And there's nothing much else I could do. Those suckers baked for 24 hours. <laughs> Jeez. I've got a lot of stories like that that are just kind of my own stupidity, but wasn't it great? <laughs> and that's a big that's a big thing for me. A lot shifted in my life when I started embracing. I talk a lot about those Dharma gates, so those places to enter. In my life, when I started seeing these areas in my life that were mistakes and were big and felt heavy and felt hard, I was spending a lot of energy not dealing with them in my, I was spending a lot of energy dealing with them in my not dealing with them. Maybe that makes sense. I think you guys can understand that. Um, 
a lot of knowing nods, but you know, it's just like our thoughts, you know, Suzuki Roshi said in Zazen, these thoughts come and they're like a guest coming. And I just realized how much energy you could spend wrestling with your thoughts or like kind of holding that door closed. Like, no, no thoughts, no, 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 this isn't Zazen if you come in. <laughs> and he said, let them in, just don't serve them tea. Right? You just you open the front door, then you open the back door. <laughs> and just like those clouds, they'll pass through. And I'll burn something again next week. Yeah. Deborah. Hmm. The um I accept the idea that you know it's all here and and we're practicing all the time. And having been in the Sashin and the monks that go to a monastery, there seems to be this argument for immersion, for deep practice, for removing oneself from the hurly burly, you know, noisy, distracting city life. Mm. So it's all here and we need guidance, we need solitude, we need support, it seems to me. I'm curious what, what you have to say. Yeah, so to kind of paraphrase that question, um, if it's all here all the time, kind of, why do it? You know, why separate ourselves out? Or is the separating ourselves out, is going to Jokoji, is doing session practice, is sitting at home alone with your little cushion facing the wall, or on Zoom with some friends. Is that it? What is it? So that's what Dogen is saying. One, two, three, four, five. For me, it's easier to see one, two, three, four, five. To see my own stupidity. To laugh at the most delicious chocolate cupcake I ever saw. <laughs> it's easier when I'm not also doing 10,000 other things. But I was quite busy this week sometimes too. And so it's as much about that as it is a commitment to each other and to the practice and to the container and trying to practice together. I need accountability a lot. Probably would have just put that whole tin in the trash and put it at the curb and bought a new one. <laughs> Prime had it delivered the next day. <laughs> this is before Prime, but I would have missed that. I would have missed my life and all that noise and the haste. So by, for me at least, my own myopic thing, Dogen probably says something very different now. 
kind of need that. I need that continuum. I need you. I need your practice. Sometimes my practice is really wobbly. And I look over at Nenzel. I see the Tenzo. I see somebody coming for the first time and throwing themselves into it. I have no idea what I'm doing, but I am here. I think. And I see that and I go, yes, okay, right. I'm back. Okay. Something like that. Gone. My, my question is about the, the bodhisattva ideal, which is, um, which to me has been a very beautiful thing, but something that I haven't really quite fully understood. And so, um, so this question arose uh, based on what we chanted or what we always chant, which is the Prajna Paramita Sutra says gate gate paragate parasangate bodhiswaha um and and that is like that is also the advice that that very good teachers give me uh, or like in discussion they would say keep going keep going and then i look back at that and there i see that oh they're just saying the prajna paramita mantra which they're saying gate gate paragate keep going and 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 when you said that uh, that quote from Dogen that to to think not thinking, think beyond. So like I keep all of these things in perspective: the the Bodhisattva ideal, the Prajna Paramita Sutra, and what Dogen said. But what I don't understand is that um, like my understanding of the Bodhisattva ideal is that. He kind of like stops doing the gate gate and he stops in that in that path, like kind of like brings other people with him. Hmm. That is my understanding. Hmm. So how does that um, relate to what Dogen said, which is to think not thinking, think beyond? Is that is does the bodhisattva ideal conform to that? or not, or, or do I have the right understanding of the Bodhisattva idea? Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. We have a lot of this in our practice because I think we have a lot of this in our life. We have these tremendous dichotomies with this tremendous understanding of I'm whole perfect, as Suzuki Roshi would say, you're whole perfect and complete. You just need a little bit of work. <laughs> you already are Buddha. You just need to kind of sit and realize it. But beyond the Bodhisattva ideal, beyond this, you don't need to wait to be a highly realized being to serve, to show up to act like a bodhisattva. 
We don't need to wait for enlightenment to act enlightened. And don't act enlightened. <laughs> and Suzuki actually said that too. He said, strictly speaking, there are no enlightened beings, just enlightened behavior. So I think that Dogen says, yeah, it's beyond that. It's beyond that. It's something we all are, but we're still trying to harmonize with it. We're still trying to see it and express it and live in accordance with it, which is, I think, your big question. How do I hold all of this and live in accordance with it? Yeah? Um, like, I, I guess, I guess there's like, uh, to me, like the, the emotional me is like, just fine. Uh, I just, it's all good. Um, but I guess the intellectual me is wondering, what does it all mean? Um, yeah. Yeah. I came from another lineage with a koan tradition. So we took all these teaching stories as a curriculum and we had to work our way through it. It is like the world's worst PhD program. You're just grinding <laughs> for decades. I'm working on this thing. And then I met a Korean monk. I used to serve on something called the Buddhist Council of New York. So we had all these representatives and then it was like a little mini UN, a little mini Buddhist UN. And we did. We, we actually worked with the UN and we worked with New York City public schools and we did all kinds of things because there's a lot of cultures and a lot of things going on. And so I had this Korean monk and, you know, and he was really excited by the fact that we had a koan tradition as well, that we would study koans like they did. And he said, you know, like, and we're not supposed to talk about it, but he would ask like, well, what is your koan or what are you working on? And they were trying to fill each other out and this kind of crazy thing that we were talking about. And, you know, he turned around and said, what is that koan? How long, you know, do you sit with that con? And I said, when we in our kind of, there's a kind of a curriculum, I think there's 300 something of them, and there's a, this, you know. He said, wow. He said, I've been with one con almost 20 years. I said, what's your con? And he said, what is it? What is it? Every day he sits down. Everything he's doing in his mind, what is it? What is, what is this? We do that for a couple of decades, you know? So I think the question you're asking is super real and it's super powerful. And I won't dismiss it. And I'm not trying to dismiss it. I'm trying to help you galvanize around it and be really intimate with it. Yes, yeah, so, so yeah. what if I ask it this way, that, um, that does the bodhisattva stop practicing the prajna paramita because he has stopped for others but then but he has not because because um, because he's helping others on the path and so he's not really stopping but then if he's not stopping and he's still going then what does it mean to be a bodhisattva and so hmm. uh, 
Yeah, that's a great question. And I think you should continue to sit with that. Like, I'm with no hint of cheek or anything. I really think that it's a really powerful, really real question. I personally wonder that this idea of the Bodhisattva ideal of somehow achieving a state as being some kind of static thing or some kind of light switch or experience that we have. I've finally crossed beyond. I finally got there, got there myself. I'm here. I've arrived beyond. I'm at the other shore. Now my work is done. But inherent in the Bodhisattva ideal, that's not the path. And inherent in what Dogen is saying is there's also no arriving. And uh, we're using our linear discursive minds to try and take on something that is beyond thinking, that is beyond that. Yeah. It's not because I love your mind. But uh, you're, there are many instruments, right? Besides this, what's a question? Hmm? What's a question? What is a question? And if I say that, could it be rhetorical? Hmm. So, yeah, by looking, you can't see in some ways. By using one, using language. If I don't use it correctly, you don't know what I'm talking about. So it's a concoction, right? I mean, it's like these, you said discernment. It's like you're trying to, rose-colored glasses sort of, you know, it's get in the way because you have this great mind to this way, but it isn't the only way your mind is. You know this, I think everybody knows this, that you have a PhD in this. So you have been successful, quote unquote, to some degree, but there's more than this. You depend, you depend on this. I'm saying this. <laughs> but this is what I tell to He knows this acutely because he doesn't know how to hear. What is he, when he was born, he knew, he knows another language. It isn't the, 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 the question. And I must have an answer, but maybe there isn't an answer. The answer is not an answer. <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a conundrum, this language. It gets very frustrating for me, so I, I must say this. I know there's another language. You know, you dance. Yeah. Right? <laughs> this is a great language. And, and cuts past our prose. You don't sing. Maybe you can use poetry. You need poetry. In fact, I just read this book. It, it says, Lucretius' poem, The Nature of Things, needed to be read, to be understood by poetry not by prose. What does that mean? I mean, that's incredible. It just breaks up this whole thing. You know. Anyway. Mm -hmm. That's it, sorry. 
It's really good because I know the more that I that I work with this practice and the practice works for me, it starts to feel like I think what you feel. I'm trying to meet you intellectually without further deluding either of us or anybody in this room. But that emotionality, you know, that just that sincerity you have with that question, how you're putting yourself wholeheartedly into this and you're really deeply considering it is needed and it is part of your path and practice right now and to stay with it and to really sit and to really sit as strong as you can and really look at it and it starts to feel really groundless at sometimes and that's a big part of it you know and i think that's what you're saying is you know wouldn't it be awful if you got the answer to it <laughs> you know, wouldn't that be awful? Wouldn't it be awful if it was all came out actually chocolate cake? You know, um, but whatever was there, harmonizing it, realizing it. Yeah, I'm with you, bud. I'm with you. I know it's not easy. But at the same time, as it's there's this old teacher story with the. The abbot would come around and he would grab each person as they were sitting and he would grab them and shake them and say, Yes, now, now. And they'd go, What? What? And he said, If not now, when? When? I wouldn't, I would. Can you imagine somebody shaking, rattling you like that while you're in Zazen? Someone other than myself, of course. <laughs> but just having, Trying to get them to break through some of that conceptualness, some of that thinkingness, some of that mind, you know. And a lot of what some of these stories, I mean, this Colin stories, it really they show that in in poetry. They show that in these really poetic ways. I was telling you that that Colin at the tea. Let's see if I can find it really quick. Maybe not. Yes, I can. No, I'm not going to. I'm not connected. Yes. Well, basically, the monk is he's let it all go and he's gone off and he's living in hermitage practice and he's doing his practice and it's really real. And someone said, does he have it or not? Does he have it or not? What is it? What is he up to? And so he's living at the base of this this lake or this waterfall or something like that. And so the teacher comes by to test him and to check his understanding. And it's just, you know, there's a lot here, a lot here. It's vast and it's deep. And he says, if you can say one word of Zen, I won't cut your hair. It means I won't reordain you and drag you back to the monastery. And he said, the dipper handle is long. Yeah, he's saying, yeah, I get it. It's deep and it's hot. And so that's why we practice. We, we can reach really deep down and get to that fresh, pure thing, you know, beyond that, you know. That's one reading of that poem. And not only did the teacher approve of the guy's understanding, the guy then submitted himself for retonture. To, he bowed and let himself be shaved and came in out of the cold. Yeah, so it's just watching you sort of tea. 
And those moments when you're not here and when you're, you know, when you're moving that dipper and you're polishing the ball and caring for us and guest and host are no longer guest and host. And it's a dance. And you just reach in with that dipper and get just another ladle full of enlightenment for me. Just fill my cup over and over. It was really beautiful. Was that the Bodhisattva ideal? Was that practice enlightenment? <laughs> Pema is literally on your shoulder, guy. <laughs> yes, it was. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. But that's for us to, to see and to taste, you know, because this is clear and cool as well. But this is my cup. Yeah. Okay, how are we on time, Hogan? Somebody in charge, somebody who knows. We're done. Yes, let's be done. Let's eat. <laughs> thank you, everyone, for your practice, and thank you for um, giving your whole self to this, wholeheartedly expressing the way. And um, yeah, thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by Jokoji Zen Center. Our Dharma talks are offered free of charge. And this is made possible by the donations we receive. Your support helps us to continue to offer the Dharma. For more information about Jikoji, please visit us on the web at jikoji.org.